0: everyone, I'm Peter, and this episode is a conversation with a close friend of mine, Ina. This is the second of our calls with people we knew living in the zone of the recent earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Like Francesca, who we spoke with last time, Ina lived in Gaziantep. Ina told Dodi and me about her gratitude for a lucky escape, the clarity that an emergency brings, and the contradictions of working in the response to it. You can hear the adrenaline and urgency in this conversation just a few weeks after her whole world has changed and her reflections making sense of what happened. Welcome back to Cairo Calling. Ina, like how you're in Gaziantep right now?
1: Yes, yes, yes. I mean, right now I'm in my office. This is also where I've been living since the earthquake um, because it's one of the few places that is um, considered to be relatively safe. It's a prefab building, so it doesn't have any bricks or, you know, kind of heavy masonry around it. So, yeah, all of my colleagues and their families are sleeping here for the past 20 days. Um, mm. So, yeah, I hope um, people might be coming in every now and then. So I apologize in advance. It's a lot of movement around <laughs>
0: But it's got better internet than your house, so that's that's a plus.
1: Yeah, they've been investing in that. Yes, since there are so many of us here and everything happens, they've been installing like additional routers around. And yeah, so I hope that we can stay online.
0: Yeah, no, wow, we good. Um, quickly onto a silver lining, but how how are you doing? How are you doing today? Like, how are things
1: today? I'm feeling I've had like my first proper night of sleep. I think last Thursday. So. The initial first days after the earthquake. So maybe I should start. Actually, let me take you back to the actual day, which was the sixth of February. I mean, the whole world knows. But um, yeah, I live on a on a first floor, so in many ways, um, the actual like impact of the earthquake. I mean, I felt it incredibly stark. Um, but I know a lot of friends and families who lived in high-rise buildings had a very different experience, and that's Gaziantep. And, of course, Gaziantep is less affected than many other uh, areas around, especially if you look at Hatay and towards more the south. But, yeah, it was like it was a massive jolt. And um, and I realized in an instant, like, something's really, really wrong, which I'm grateful for, really, because this instinct kind of kicked in. And um, then the plaster from the ceiling started raining on my face. I was like, mm, okay, like, something is really not the way it should be. And, well, I think the most tremendous thing for me was the sound, like, it was kind of a train, like train tracks that are creaking, you know, I mean, it's a bit hard to explain, like, a very profound structural sound, and that kind of created this entire atmosphere of complete disorientation, like, it's hard to make sense of what's going on. It was this instinct, like, instinctual reaction of jumping out of bed, obviously, Trying, I, I spent a second trying to find my key and I didn't manage to to find my key <laughs> and left everything else behind and just run out the door and onto the courtyard. And by that time, a lot of neighbors had already been making the same decision. And within like minutes, there were hundreds and hundreds of people on the street. And then I realized, wow, this is this re- this is, this is the, this something really big just happened. Because initially I thought maybe this is a bit, you know, it's an earthquake prone region. So maybe people have lived through something similar and this is maybe just seems a lot more, tremendous to me than, than to many others who lived through something similar in the past but no I mean it was something that then uh, turned out to be very very clearly very quickly to, to be of a different kind of caliber in that sense and um, yeah then I stood out there in the snow it was also snowing that night so everything came together I mean the conditions were just utterly yeah I mean everything all at once and um, barefoot didn't have my shoes my socks didn't have my key or my phone and then I started looking for people that I know and trying to understand also course my Turkish isn't great, even though I've been here living here for several years i it's still a very um, yeah, small talk level. So I also had trouble understanding what was going on without internet, without a phone, um so I was trying to find someone that I recognize in the crowd, and then um luckily. I was able to locate like a, a colleague who just joined literally the day before. So he was brand new. The um, oh, wow. And then, and then from that point onwards, we kind of tried to make sense and, and regather ourselves and connect to other people and yeah, figure out a way forward. But that was the initial few minutes that seemed like much longer than that. But yeah, my immediate first experience of what happened. So you asked me how I am and yeah, I mean, so thank you. But I think, um, it really took a while to understand the scale of what had happened. Um, so the first two days, they were literally just figuring out a safe place to be and to sleep because the ground kept on shaking. There were lots of aftershocks. I mean, not as tremendous as the first one. There was another one around 1.30 during the day, which caught me uh, like on the fourth floor of a colleague's house to get some socks and a pair of shoes. So that was another like massive <clears throat> shock. And by the time you'd seen some pictures also on the destruction that has been, you know, wrought on other places and including in Gaziantep. So it was a lot more scary because you know what could happen as a result. You had a visual impression of what had already taken place. Um, but after that, I mean, I came to the office and then it was just functioning, trying to find a place, trying to find a blanket, you know, trying to figure out who's okay and make lots of phone calls. If you can check in with colleagues, friends, understand what happened to them and, yeah, and then I think the first one, I didn't sleep at all. Um, but, yeah, so then some a kind of new, it sounds really weird, but I think at this point I have a new routine already. You know, it's and I'm on, I mean, live in the office now, and I do everything here. I work here, I live here, and, and somehow there's a new rhythm to it, to everything, and it's it's hard to remember what it was like before. You know, it's very strange. Suddenly this is quite normal. Um, yeah, and I'm feeling okay, and I think the big part of that is the kind of the the fact that we are lots of people who've gone through a very similar thing and um we're here for each other so
0: so that's been really mm. helpful what's was the so sort of day-to-day like then do you have a like do you have a shower and a bed or like <laughs> a bucket and a place on the floor
1: yes 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 so <laughs> mm. it's uh i mean this building is built for around like i mean we have 50 colleagues in total so um, it's not really equipped to then suddenly host i mean I, I think the first night we had like 200 people here because. Colleagues brought their families, their kids, their parents. Then, I mean, completely like something that was really like visually so arresting. Like people came with their goldfish bowls and their cages of I don't know, like uh, how do you put them? Para, Like yeah, like these
0: parakeets. You know, parrots, parakeets. Yeah, yeah,
1: thank you. And then we had several cats staying with us, two dogs, trying to figure out where to put them. So I mean, it was a very animal-human yeah, because kind of Otherwise, like, they're
0: gonna uh, like eat each other, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 It was the kind of, you know, the, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, like we are up there as the apex predator, but yes, it was a kind of a Mm -hmm. a food chain situation (laughs) and um, yeah, and we were all sleeping on the floor. I mean, we, we managed to get a few blankets and I, um, I mean, I, I should have said it I mean, I work for an international organization here in Gaziantep and, and part of that work is also logistics in the sense that there's a very big warehouse And um, that was then also open for other staff to sleep there and that developed very quickly into a much larger situation because people from nearby, nearby kind of surroundings also came to stay there. Um, So, yeah, we got blankets and, 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 and mattresses from the warehouse. And yes, so we've been sleeping on the floor since. But each one of us has gotten their little spot and I think a bit attached to it at this point. <laughs> <I> <laughs>
2: and showers, you.
1: it's a very much a bucket because I didn't tell you, but the water was like, uh, we didn't have any running water for the first two days. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the hygiene situation hasn't been ideal, I would say. But mm. uh, at this point, uh, yeah, we all be um, able to use the washrooms too.
0: You're to washing kind of wash in the goldfish and water oh, yeah. and yeah, sharing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <So laughs> <That's me>. Sharing. <laughs> Yeah, wow.
1: the overall situation. And, I mean, maybe just one thing to add. I mean, um, so I have a lot of colleagues who work in the region beyond Gaziantep, and um, Gaziantep's. if you look at kind of destruction in other areas, has been spared the worst
2: hmm. in
1: a lot of ways. And I think realizing what has really happened, I mean, they read these first few hours of frantically refreshing the life ticker on The Guardian, because that's kind of where I got my information from. And realizing with every single refresh button, you get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of additional confirmed deaths. And, it's, I mean, these numbers are just surreal. You can't make sense of it. It's uh, incomprehensible, completely incomprehensible. Mm. But then, of course, you overlay that with stories and experiences of colleagues and friends, many of whom have lost family, um, relatives, um, especially those who are more from the southern regions like Hatay, Marash, where the epicenter was. And you're like, oh, my goodness. I mean, this. I mean, it's extremely hard to understand and comprehend the mm. magnitude and scale of what has happened.
0: Yeah, it's. It, it sounds like like everything about your day to day has changed. Yeah, like in a very emergency way. At the same time as like there's this awful catastrophe outside.
1: Yes. Yeah. It really had, and I mean, this is really not about like this is so much bigger and so much more. And so the first few days, there was nothing that concerns your life as an individual. It was a very collective experience. And, um, yeah, I had this urge to talk to everyone that I met. And it was a very outward kind of connecting experience. But when it came to thinking what that means for me, and it's only started maybe yeah, very recently, and maybe we talk about transitions. I mean, Peter, you might know this, and it's been a theme for many years. But I've had this ongoing conversation with myself around... My connection to this place and where I see yeah. myself. I've been here for many years now, and I've always ever thought about these. The time spans spent here in months. So there was always another six months contract. Why not? Okay, let's do this mm-hmm. again, and uh, and again, and why not again? And uh, suddenly, I found myself staying it for more than five years. And by the time that the earthquake had struck, uh, it was actually. I mean, it was just for me personally but disorienting. Um, Specifically, because I mean, of course, for all the obvious reasons, but also because I had just made the decision to conclusively leave by the thirty-first of March and then try and uh, mm. you know figure out the potential new horizons. And I had formalized it all, and that was a very long drawn up process for me. Lots of questions mm. around belonging, and you know, like, and then you're in your mid-thirties, you're trying to understand where would I would you know ideally having the privilege to think about these things in those terms having some financial security and really some extra time that you can take off. Like, where would I want to go? What would I like to do? How do I connect this to my friends and family? Maybe, you know, what the objectives that I have for my life? And, and of course, that's completely out of the window now. I can't even think about that. I mean, that's, and I know this is not a big deal mm. and I'm just, I mean, it doesn't really, but my own personal life is obviously. i out, out of the
0: window in the sense that. Like it's, yeah. it's just totally hard to reconnect to, or in the sense that like, uh, of course I'm going to stay and see what I can do.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think for me, it's just been an organic process of, but I'm here all the time. Um, it's mm-hmm. a twenty four seven process, and of course, being part of this humanitarian, I mean, sector industry, within a few hours. You know, you've had had the first calls for additional funding, and uh, you know all this. I mean, you can imagine this entire earthquake response machine had kind of kicked in, both on the Turkey side, but also the northwest Syria side, because of course the earthquake affected the entire region. um, And requests for briefings, and appeals, and proposals, and you find yourself in the midst of this machinery. Um, and yeah, and it hasn't stopped since. I mean, it's really been an, a pretty
0: nonstop. um. Mm. I had this insight, even when, when there was the COVID pandemic, I was like, ah, oh, what they don't show you in the apocalypse movies is the people writing policy briefs, right? Because I'm like, well, that's what I'd be doing. Um, mm. and it sounds like that's what you've been doing. Like that is, that's a whole other disjunction, like in itself, trying to like, Put it into the UN language and like yes. to your colleagues in HQ, like well, exactly. there's the gold, exactly. goldfish and the dog and the grandma, like across, like and someone stole in your bucket that you shower with, like it's um, the
1: noodles. There's the lives exactly. It's kind of right. <laughs> right, Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. You said it really well. And in some ways, you obviously package that in a certain lingo. You know that belongs to the sector. I mean. Uh, you then talk about the yeah, earthquake affected populations disaggregated by sex, age, gender, you know, um, and uh, you kind of fit into these free pre kind of um, pre-existing templates where you mm. neatly have to define priority areas, funding amounts and locations. And of course, I mean, I knew this before, and I think,, yeah, this is not really surprising, but we were going on absolute zero information. Like absolute zero. Like it was impossible to. I mean, there was absolutely nothing that we knew in any kind of depth or even mm. non-depth about what was actually happening, especially in Northwest Syria. At the same time, you have these high deadlines to come up with a big response plan, and you literally, you know. And I knew that this is oftentimes the case, but I never experienced it myself in that way.
0: But you, you're in a room with an earthquake-affected population. You're like, well, two hundred of us here. Three dogs, like two parakeets. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there were five of them, actually. Yes, five
0: parakeets. <laughs> yes.
1: oh, and there were six cats, one of whom escaped. I mean, everything it, It's like you know, like it really. <laughs> the way that reality kind of upended itself was quite tremendous on different levels. Um,
0: Did yeah. you, because you've been in like Gaziantep for that time, and you had lots of, lots of connections, and sort of obviously knew lots of colleagues working around? Did you lose people close or were they injured or?
1: Yeah. Um, so I have two very close friends who lost uh, close family members, mm. <coughs> including one of my closest friends here who lost his mother. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um Yeah. And I mean, again, I think a common experience, I mean, I can't even begin to fathom what it means, but you know your family member is missing, right? but you don't... I mean, in terms of then coming to an understanding um, of whether that person might still be rescued or not. I mean, with every day, of course, that hope fades. Right. And in both cases um, that I know what, that I'm very, uh, that I was also close to um, it was after the 10th day that it was clear, most likely this this person has died. But Mm -hmm. uh, for one of my friends, the body still hasn't been found. So um, it's also that kind of link. I'm not sure how to explain that, but of course, yeah, the fact that you don't really have... I mean, you it's kind of dawning on you in many ways, day by day. But um, it's a death that kind of... Yeah, I mean, coming to realization and then... Yeah, it's very difficult because you don't really... You have no clear-cut time or date where this is being confirmed. Mm-hmm. Just you have to deduce it by the circumstances. And I think, yeah, that is just... Yeah, hard to witness, hard to be, um, yeah, imagining really. And I've had moments where I was like trying very proactively to to to, to think about something else. But yeah, just that's been I think a very a lot of people have had that experience, yeah. Waiting mm-hmm. for news of their loved ones and eventually realizing or oh, I mean it's just clear that there's no more chance of survival at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: What, um, what were the reactions from, you know, on the first day by, you know, uh, from your friends and families, you know, in the first hour when they heard the news on, on the internet or on the radio that, you know, a massive earthquake just happened in Turkey mm-hmm. and you lived there? I mean, like, you know? How yeah.
1: Would- yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of a... The thing was that I left my phone behind <laughs> alongside many other things um, and I ran out of my building and I wasn't able to re-access my apartment for four days. Oh, and um yeah so I was in that sense you know as easily reachable as I would have been otherwise and, uh, and my first instinct was and I did it right yeah. after the initial earthquake that when I met my colleague on the street I said can I log into your Skype account because I mean that's the only password I remember like my emails like nothing was there I was like okay I have this Skype account I just you know like I have access yeah. in my brain to my password and my username so let me send a message." Um, to my, to my parents, you know, so hoping that they would see it, you know, and, and then um, and then that's what I did, right? But I wasn't able to speak to my parents until the, very late at night that day. Um, yeah, they had received a message, but then at that point, internet had been cut, and I mean, it was a real, yeah, I mean, a bit of a sense for me for the very first time, you know, where you need that connection the most and you can't realize it. That um, was really... A, yeah, very difficult to to know that you can't really <laughs> communicate, and obviously knowing the the pictures that are coming out of Gaziantep and Tab and the news, and yeah, I mean, we were then able to speak at night, and that was obviously yeah a great relief. And mm. and then since then we then established a routine to check in yeah at least uh, at least twice a day, and we've kept that up for the first first five days. And yeah, then uh, yeah now it's a bit more stable, but.
0: Mm. So Huge awesome. comeback for Skype. We thought that we'd <laughs> finished with Skype right? during COVID, but you can't do that on Zoom, can you? Oh, my. <laughs> exactly. Goodness. Neither teams nor
1: Zoom. Yeah, n- I team. don't think
0: anyone knows their team's password. Ina, um, <laughs> no, I, wish, I wish we could give you a big hug. Like, thank you for yeah, sharing this. Like, it's what, it's... what does it like, feel like to talk about?
1: Um... You know, there is this sense that i mean for me, the over the, the most intense feeling is, is gratitude that in the sense that I've been so incredibly lucky in so many ways, and mixed with a lot of grief and yeah also anxiety and um yeah, I mean it's such deep deep sadness around what has happened and also knowing um a lot of those who've had who are going through incredible loss, which I really cannot even. Imagine on such a large scale, um, trying to be, you know, a close good friend and uh, provide support, um, and that I ha- and I've also felt at times that I'm failing at doing that hmm. uh, because so much was going on, you know, in my own kind of uh, like what really just happened. Um, that I think um, I found difficult um, because, of course, that's that was a key priority that you're there for people that, that you love and that you can. But you can provide some kind of comfort, and I, I think at some point, especially at the, in the first two days, I it was very kind of machine-like. You just try to kind of figure out what you do the next minute. Yeah, but um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I talking about it now, like it seems like it's a very long time ago, even though it's mm-hmm. less than three weeks, like a mm-hmm. very long time ago. Because as you said, like everything has changed since then. Um, not only day to day, but also the larger kind of outlook. Um, for the coming period and maybe also larger questions around yeah I mean kind of connection to here and uh, and plans for the future everything is kind of a bit suspended in mid-air so
0: Mm. yeah kind of conversations from those first few days that really stand out for you
1: oh yeah I think there's a, a lot of conversations but you know like one thing that stood out for me and, like, it's more like observations. Um, like, the first thing that I remember, because the earthquake struck at 4.16, right? So it was shortly after the call to prayer, for the Fajr prayer. And I was just struck by the the fact that, I mean, in, in, in Turkey, at least in other the Azan is not pre-recorded, so it would be uh, provided by, yeah, an imam. And uh, hearing that Azan shortly after the earthquake, knowing that someone had gone to the mosque, you know, kind of uh, do his like, essentially be there as he is there every day or in his scheduled time and make sure there's a call to prayer. And I don't know, I for me, everything kind of lost its, you know, like the scaffolding had collapsed in a lot, you know, in the biggest sense of the word. And mm-hmm. then you have that sound in your ear, like, ah, and in some ways, it really brought me back to. I found it tremendous that it happened. I was like, what? Mm. And then it made me think like, I'm sure there've been many disasters and like, you know, huge interruptions and you still have the call to prayer. I mean, I found that really tremendous. Mm. <laughs> um, and mm. then the other one was that uh, within minutes, um, a lot of like the, the, the streets had been like c- completely congested, like completely congested. Hundreds and hundreds of people, of people on the street. And, I mean, I found it confounding in so many ways. I asked myself, where are these people going? (laughs) And uh, until
0: like walking or in like vehicles or
1: yeah, in cars, yeah, and you know, like
0: you've got a traffic jam,
1: incredible traffic jam. Of course, at the same time, you then have have the ambulance sirens going off, and and the ambulance kind of trying to make their way, but the streets were completely choked. Until I realized that everyone is trying to get out and find some space out of the city on an open field. To take shelter in their car for however long they have to but not within the built environment but trying to to find a space outside of the city Mm. and uh, not having a distinct destination in mind at all just getting out literally just getting out and that was something that also yeah it surprised me so tremendously um i mean the visuals were just so arresting as well i mean i've never seen that many that many cars and that many people on the street and it was impossible to inch forward even one minute, you know, like in one uh, centimeter. Um, but within a day, the city was empty. I mean, mm-hmm. it's most people that could. Of course, it's also a question of resources and and mobilities. But um, the city is still very empty.
0: Yeah. The city became the enemy, right? Like...
1: Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. The, the city is what kills you. I mean, the, the built city is, Yeah everything mm. that has yeah exactly the city is what kills you mm. and that yeah maybe it's a really good way to put it Peter and that was also another like yeah wow shit you know like it's that I found extremely arresting as, a, as an image as a metaphor as, a, as a, something I, I saw on the streets um, yeah and that was just in the immediate aftermath on Monday on, on that Monday mm-hmm. yeah
2: yeah um. During the, the initial beginning of the pandemic, right, I mean, like, we, we saw, you know, this kind of like, you know, tragic and, and funny pictures about um, the toilet papers in supermarket being sold out. And then there's a lot of rust buying into the stores and supermarkets.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, how, how did the society like in the city react in the first day? You know, because they, they, they must be concerned about food and water and, and basic supplies. I mean, how did, you know, how did people react? especially in the beginning Mm. of the day, during the Mm. early days.
1: Yeah, that's very quick. So, I mean, all the public, it was very early in the morning. I mean, so, you know, by eight o'clock, things would have, like stores would have opened, people would have gone to the offices. And, of course, that didn't take place. Like um, shops and stores and supermarkets, restaurants were closed for three days. So it was up to the individual, like you know, like families and friends to figure out a way to... um, you know some people went back to their houses just to get things out of their fridge it was very unclear at what point you would be able to actually buy or procure um, essential items i mean you just mentioned toilet paper i mean it's one of them but but literally just food and water um, so a lot of we essentially decided among us we were a group of six people at some point who found each other on the street and we said it became very clear that, of course, I mean, this was something very huge, and and uh, and in public infrastructure, and I mean, the entire, yeah, I mean, the public life it had stopped in that sense, and that we needed to figure out how to, you know, make make use of our supplies back home. So, two of us went back home, or literally like in and out, running in and out, getting some key items of their cupboards, and and then we pulled food for the first two days based on what we had back home
0: and drinking because, uh, water.
1: Yeah. And same. Yes. We were right. able to, I mean, that, that was a great thing in the office. We have like water, what do you call it? Like these big, mm. they have a, they have a separate water supply kind of, this is <laughs> big, but yeah, I, I don't, I think there's another reason people left because there were just nothing. There was just nothing that you could find here anymore. Uh, everything was closed. And then on Thursday, uh, shops opened again. So mm-hmm. three days. Yeah. So um, there was another immediate kind of, uh, effect what happened and there's still some shops on my street which haven't opened um and that's also because as i said i mean there was this immediate like exodus from the city and especially seeing the aftershocks and another earthquake that occurred on monday last week um a lot of people don't feel safe coming back so it remains a ghost city so you still have a lot of restaurants and places
0: which are closed so they've gone so, to like relatives in different parts of turkey or just sort yeah. of- like yeah, anywhere exactly else,
1: far, kind of, right. quite far, because this area right. that's affected by these continues, that's a very, I mean, that's like 15% of, I mean, the population, but uh, I think even more when it comes to the geographic kind of uh, expanse. Um, so, yeah, I'm talking about Mersin, Ankara, Istanbul, um, like cities which are uh, quite some distance from here, like 500 kilometers plus. Um, yeah, so
0: that's so, so really Did you consider far- that option for you?
1: No, I didn't consider that option. There's, yeah, my uh, my parents asked me the same question. No, it was pretty clear to me at the from from the very first day. That Your
0: parents are considering that option. <laughs> <laughs> they <laughs> yeah.
1: they asked me if I'm considering. Yeah, that was a great question. Um, and I think, like, and that's something that's been like such a. I mean, I knew that before. I think, like, life is about you know, your relationships, connections, but the fact that my friends and colleagues were here and uh, that's something that we'd experienced together um, and there would be potentially a way, I mean, potentially, I'm still figuring that one out. That's an open question to, in your own small way, potentially contribute to whatever will, you know, whatever efforts might be, you um, put in place to address the situation in in, in different ways to be there for that. Yeah. That was immediate and that hasn't changed since then. That was very clear to me. So I never really asked myself if I want to like, this option didn't really present itself to me. So, um, yeah. And until today, and I think it would actually be difficult to leave at this point in time. I think it, a bit more time to, to do that.
0: Yeah. I guess as, as your friend, I'm a bit sort of, uh, like halfway between your perspective and your parents' perspective. <laughs> 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 and like sometimes sometimes contributing also like means making sure you've looked after yourself and have, mm. have the capacity to do that. But I know how much meaning you get from those connections with people and how much meaning you get from sort of being in that wider cause, which um like some points in our work can be a bit questionable, but yes. like, n- now it seems very aligned with like <laughs> uh like sort of way where you work and where you are and what needs to be done. Mm. Um so I can I can see why you feel that, but also Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, thanks Peter. You said that right, yeah, I think that's yeah, the the connections and and kind of the yeah, the human kind of yeah. <laughs> the different ways that I'm connected to this place. But yes, I mean, there is talk around, I mean, potential rotation systems. And because this Mm. will probably be a bit more long term, especially on the Turkish, when it comes to the the Turkish side, Um, you know, the the fact that, of course, at the moment you have two humanitarian operations, one addressing the situation in Turkey and then the other one uh, focusing on Northwest Syria, which of course is an extremely complex um, kind of setup to begin with with regards to access and, Mm. um, you know, the overall situation with the Syrian government in Damascus, which um yeah, also has its part to play. And um yeah, so I think eventually there might be some kind of system like that, but um uh, nothing confirmed. And yeah, I'm also wondering where I would go and what I would do because I still I don't know. There is a definitely I feel that it's hard to to rest. You can't. I constantly ask myself, so what is it that I should do? Like it's hard to just sit down and be like, and I know that that's not a sustainable kind of situation. So mm. it's important to make sure that yeah, you you yeah you, know, you, you also kind of turn that focus on on yeah how you feel. And that's been something that you know has been a bit difficult to actually know how you feel because it's a uh, yeah just a lot of external stimuli uh, every single day. And then mm. you can get so busy that you don't need to ask yourself that question at all. It doesn't really come up because the day only has 24 hours and there's so much to be done. So um, I think what you said is really true. Like trying to mm. don't completely <laughs> um, lose that yeah kind of feeling. But for, you said like, you, you
0: had a night of sleep on Thursday.
1: Yes, I yeah. did. It was, oh my God. I mean, I know that sleepers can be bliss, but that was another level. Yeah, that
0: was really great
2: mm.
1: because it happened so interrupted and it really affects, I think, the way you think and perceive the world. Like, I haven't had sleep deprivation like this ever before and it really does something to how you move through mm. your world. So,
0: so that was really, yeah. It still very sounds healing. like <laughs> adrenaline Adrenaline levels are quite, are quite yeah. high. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yes. Mm.
1: No, that, that, that is something that has continued, yeah, so it's hard to sit still, you know, like, yeah. So I'm really, I'm so glad I'll be having this conversation. It's actually the first time that, I mean, since the earthquake that, yeah, somebody's, yeah, like talking about it with some time and focus. Mm-hmm. So, so thank you for that.
2: Yes, thank so, you. That? Well, uh, have you had a, uh, a day off since the beginning? Like, no. And what did you do? No.
1: No, not really, like uh it's been work every day, and of course that work is mainly uh you know on a computer it's very it's in the end you end up, and that's another what you just said earlier, like you you find this uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic, right like who's writing those policy briefs or <laughs> whatever I like, think it's obviously a pretty um, yeah, I mean it's something very secluded you sit on in your office on you know at your desk and and you try and hope that this might be moving something somewhere. Um, but I found it also very tough because, I mean, you don't see anything except <laughs> your monitor. Mm. And, and of course you're dealing with a, with a with a situation that's unfolding outside your window. Uh, it's right there. But um, your actual day-to-day engagement with the situation is text-based, um, appeals-based, like a mm. UN language framed. So that is an intense disconnect, a really difficult. And then,
0: um, but the, the the other the other part of that was also the Guardian live stream you were saying. So there's a kind yeah, of that yeah, that's, The internet yeah, is also is so, that dimension of like
1: right? exactly That kind mm-hmm. of interjects like uh, yeah, which is so like so unreal that it you yeah. I'm not even sure if it actually registers. Like, what does that mean? I mean, it's uh, you know again, it's something that you read and and you know something that you again, of your screen, really. Um,
0: were there the big... moments that were particularly, like, cognitive dissonance? Yeah, message. Between the, like, the outside the window and what you were writing? Like, were the moments that stick out from it?
1: Mm, that's a really good question, Peter, thanks so for asking that. Um, I I think dissonance, yeah, lots of levels of dissonance. I mean, one, for example... Had to do, and this is a bit specific to northwest Syria because that's my focus. I work primarily in on the uh, on the northwest northwest Syrian context. I mean, um, the fact like my biggest dissonance and um, was around the way there was this scramble for quote unquote visibility. You know, which human agency gets to? provide the first shipment of relief items to northwest syria through which border crossing uh, to which area and the and the sub district and then the entire visibility machine around that um again i was uh,
0: going to ask about that i didn't know how to ask but i've heard that look what the un does after the disaster there's definitely like a competition oh, to get ahead of the table yeah right? and that like never, yeah. that must be awful to witness like Kind of the translation of your, like, very, like, the urgency behind the situation brief you've given, like, transformed into that kind of politicking.
1: Yeah, yeah. And with, uh, yes, yes. I also, I mean, I'd heard about it and you can kind of imagine it, but seeing it unfold in real time. And because we're all in the same space, I mean, you get to witness meetings that you know you see the management has right next to you which is normally not the case it's very mm.
0: spatially
1: separated um and you hear some of those discussions and um yeah i mean i don't want to reduce it uh, only to this but i would say that was a driving factor for a lot of decisions on the first few days um who gets to send the first truck to northwest syria and um mm. and who you know shares that first picture on the twitter account i mean i again not to be entirely um You know, I don't want to be too reductionist, but that was definitely one dynamic. And, yeah, I mean, IOM is one of the largest UN agencies present uh, in Northwest. I mean, not present physically because, um, yeah, we operate from Turkey, cross-border. But I was mentioning the warehouse, so there were pre-existing, you know, there was a pre-existing shipment of core relief items which were meant to be sent before the earthquake. So it took three days to, to actually get it through um after the disaster.
0: Hmm.
1: But it was it was the first one and that was then a call.
0: Oh, well congratulations. <laughs> yeah.
1: It yeah. was then of course something yeah. that uh, made it through the global email chain. Like, it was mm. asked.
0: <laughs> we sent that first truck. But it's 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 interesting <laughs> listening to you because it makes you think like uh, Dodie was mentioning to me before the call like even now there is there is a bit less attention about it in the media than there had been in the first days. And actually like part of the UN's job is to try and like secure the resources to make it happen. And you've got to have like, you've got to have um, the, the images that resonate with people. Otherwise you're not going to get government's attention. So there's the kind of that, like that, that, situation you lived out gave like made me realize that there is a reason they're doing this because otherwise just there'd be a smaller pot of money for everyone
1: yeah 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 for sure i mean again in the entire let's say public information <laughs> side of things um yeah it's it's a bit of a, a dilemma i mean i fully understand the need for you know resonating you know, visual you know kind of communication around oh, what is Occurring, what is happening, um, but doing that in a way that um, that um, let's say um, kind of doesn't resort to often like flattening language or sensationalizing language. I mean, that's something. Um, yeah, that's still very rare, and uh, I think what happened uh, was another example of a lot of. Um, yeah I mean visual material that was put out there um that essentially was about making sure that the person in the picture you know has received whatever the kit with the right logo you know that was also again all these wider questions that you have around <laughs> the sector like became very acute um at the same time, especially in Turkey, because this country was ahead. I mean, it might still be, but the elections are coming up and they were supposed to be held in May. Um, so there's also it's playing out in a situation that is extremely, uh, let's say, like quite critical and very sensitive um, in many ways. And it would have been regardless, but it's been heightened a bit by the, what's at stake politically um, at the moment. And it's been very interesting to see how, um, the government has been so intent on making sure that it seemed to be extremely present and um, uh, centralized and uh, in charge, um to the extent that uh, I mean rescue teams and I mean, you know c- kind of civil like collective action um, volunteers that came in, I mean, some of them had to wait for two days to be assigned to an area where they were able to work. Uh, because everything had to go through a centralized command structure up in Ankara and down again um, and um, again, maybe not an exception but um, a, a very like, it's also painful to see right much <laughs> needed support is, is held up so much um or wider political kind of reasoning and yeah and and that's something that I could see firsthand here in in Gaziantep. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that was, or for example, support being provided by a kind of a provincial uh, government that is held by an opposition party, and that was not accepted, for example, by the municipality here, in the midst of a massive, or was not they were not allowed maybe to accept it, in the midst of this massive um, disaster. So,
0: yeah, mm. you're I mean, speaking so about it quite things. objectively, but like I don't know if you like been shouting in meetings or sort yeah. of staying, staying professional like you'll because you're, big, no, you're no, quite no. objective at the moment
1: no, 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 I mean it's been um, gut-wrenching honestly, you just want to scream mm. and jump out of the window you're like what the fuck am I doing here <laughs> no. um, mm. It's know it's in northwest Syria specifically um, the situation is already so dire it was expected that the Syrian government would make sure that they benefit as much as they can, which they have But of course, I mean, the anger, frustration as to how things have unfolded, and it's really, I think, another reason why I don't sleep so well. (laughs) Um, Mm. And it's the same for many of us. I mean, um, not to deny, I mean, a lot of things have, and I don't want to kind of paint it. Obviously, it's a very nuanced uh, situation, but there is, I think, um, yeah, especially if you look at the wider politics and uh, hard to maintain. (laughs) you know um Mm. yeah
0: positive outlook you you summed up development feelings sort of quite directly like that i can't imagine being anywhere else and also at the same time what the fuck am i doing (laughs) like that's the that's the glorious cocktail yes
1: that is part of this glorious cocktail which is you know (laughs) yeah high percentage yes yes i know and that's something that um i haven't really figured out you know it's uh I think a lot of it is very like to-do list, which have to be you, and you kind of know okay, this appeal is coming. I need to be A B C D E, and then at it's nine nine p.m. You've heard your shitty share of news during the day around how things are going, but at that time you're like okay, if I don't <laughs> kind of shut down my computer now, at least try to get a meal in. I can't function, and then the next day starts. So um, mm. I think lots of unresolved feelings and uh, around. What you're really a part of, you know, and why, and um, mm. that's a re- you actually make me, re- <laughs> yes, it's not, it's something that is then kind of overridden by the busyness of it all, and that's mm. probably not. Yeah, I wouldn't want it to stay that way, but that's probably how people end up in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, that's some of the dynamics at play, I guess. But it's a really mm. good point. It's obviously, as always, you know, these internal content... T- 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 contradictions of uh, existence, but, but that's a big one. That's a huge one. I haven't found a way at all to reconcile those things. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, like, everyone seems to have, you know, this kind of thoughts, right? Uh, if I were in this, this situation, this is how I would have, you know, reacted, right? In the case of emergencies, whether it's a big disaster, like fire or earthquakes. Um, so have you had a chance to reflect back You know how you react and 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 behave in the in the first days and everything, and like did it match your you know Mm. imagination before, right? The Mm. the earthquake happened, so
1: yeah. (laughs) I mean, I uh, the, the immediate it was a complete gut instinct. Like I don't even remember thinking anything except like this body kind of signal of just get the heck out, just whatever it takes, just get out. Knowing that I was on the first floor, I think if I would have been up there like on the seventh, I'm not entirely sure if I would have had uh, as clear a thought as to what I should be doing, but knowing that the the x you know the door of the building is yeah. reachable and I can get there within seconds, I was completely clear that I mean I hadn't really thought about it ever I'd never really thought about being in an earthquake, which considering that I'm living in a very earthquake prone area, but it just didn't feature at all um despite the fact that
0: several earthquakes have occurred while I wasn't you Turkey. you hadn't had a drill or anything
1: no we've never had any any drills nothing there was just nothing <laughs> so and it happened in the middle of the night i mean you asleep in your bed so the first thing i mean yeah, it's it's completely dark You, i mean it, the entire like nothing makes sense you know like it, it generally i mean maybe it, it wouldn't either way but you literally kind of in the REM cycle and suddenly (laughs) everything's upside down, you know? Um, yeah. And I just had a sense like, shit, whatever it is, I have to get out of here. And I'm glad for that. Um, um, but there was no real thought. It was more like an instinct, um, like pure instinct. And, uh, not really knowing then I googled like what to do and <laughs> when I finally matched the question i like what should I you know was it the right thing to do what should I have?
0: is this like what British people be... googling what is the what is the European Union after we voted together what yeah. is the expert
1: advice? you know what's oh. the kind of standard standard
0: and how much did FOB? you how how much were you how much were yes. you on 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 best practice
1: <laughs> and, and then, yeah, and then I realized, I mean, much of the guidance says that you should stay inside. I mean, unless, you know, bulletproof that you can reach kind of the exit within like five seconds, you should stay where you are and, and kind of find cover under a table or, you know. Like yeah, I don't know, Drew,
0: that you should first find cover and then you should leave afterwards. I'd say after the shake, yeah. As you know, you know, I lived in Dhaka. Dhaka was also on a zone. But that like the, the earthquake idea was a lot more present for me. Maybe we'd felt little tremors, but I think that like, Turkey has had more serious earthquakes more recently than than Bangladesh, although I'm not sure about that. But mm-hmm. it was definitely on my mind. It was definitely also on my mind the kind of reaction that you had. There were a few some years in my life that was like shit, if there's an earthquake in Bangladesh, I will if I'm not there, I will go back as soon as i can to to mm. see what i can do um that maybe isn't my feeling now but we did do a bit of preparedness my preparedness was getting getting a whistle which apparently is useful if you're if you're stuck so i have a whistle on my keychain but yeah whether like yeah. <laughs> um there's the idea of having a grab bag as well but mm-hmm.
1: um Yes, I remember reading about that.
0: That's part of the expert advice. <laughs> um, after the... After the yeah. Yeah, there's a grab bag, and my learning from that drill was have a grab bag with small currencies in it because if you've got, like, a $100 bill and someone's got a bottle of water, like, you, you're going to wish you had a $5 bill. <laughs> so that was that was what I've taken. And where do you like- put it? <laughs> taken from, I think... I don't know yet. No, so I don't know, but I'm also taking from your story that like your little um a little phone and the grab bag is also is also a good idea yes and the um, charger. but uh yeah. did you have it like um no so i didn't make i didn't make the grab bag like i had the i had the whistle yeah. mm,
1: yes i think that's a really yeah yeah that makes a lot um, of sense i actually got one as well just now in case uh <laughs> oh nice yeah yeah sure that was my one uh additional action after the earthquake I got a whistle (laughs) it took a while to find so I only got it last week (laughs) nice yeah yeah. but were you living up on a in a high-rise building in Bangladesh or were you
0: I would it it differed and then I was on the I was on the ground floor but I was also like thinking like if I shelter I can't stand up from the floor very easily Mm. Um, so I didn't know like would I shelter And I didn't, I didn't know how to localize the expert advice to my disability living situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, yeah, like I say, got the whistle.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that was the Yeah.
0: Even in the drill, I didn't know like what to do. I was like, oh, let these people go first, like kind of, yeah, but it's.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, but the uh, drill was
0: was that your employer or the house kind yeah, of no, management? Um, the... Uh, I the, just... the, the 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 um uh, UN DSS, so like the UN, <laughs> UN security <laughs> really? security people gave us a like cross agency drill in um, earthquake preparedness, not to stress a point, you know, but because it was a earthquake prone zone. <laughs> so, we <laughs> living in a very like so it was part of sec- it was part of the security training. It was the most useful part oh, of the security training, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah I can imagine, which no,
0: I mean, you might you might have anticipated.
1: I, um, <laughs> well, you know, I remember the UNDSS security training. I arrived here, and the key thing was, uh, which I, I mean, very problematically phrased, but it was around dress codes and uh, you know, like
0: uh yeah, cultural differences and how to deal with them. But you weren't observing the dress code when you came outside in your pyjamas, were you? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was a concern, indeed. Like, oh, shit,
1: I'm half-naked out here. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: And the winter, yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit how the winter has kind of interacted with this. Yeah, I mean, it was...
1: I'm not sure, like... Yeah, I don't think this made a uh, major news, but last year in January, February, so like a year ago, there was a massive like, uh, like a snowstorm that lasted for four days. So um, Antec was like, is normally a very moderate, I mean, it's quite hot and it doesn't really snow in the winter. Um, but last year there was this massive blizzard and, and the schools were kind of closed for a week and we didn't go, office was closed. I mean, a bit like, yeah, in terms of shutdown, it was similar to after the earthquake, like nothing. I mean, people were still in the city, but um, public life like just completely shut it down. Um, and this, like, so that was my first time seeing snow in Gaziantep, actually, like one year ago. And then just two days before the earthquake, it started snowing, like, incessantly. Um, literally less than, less than 48 hours before, because we'd already, we were like, okay, it's like end of Jan, it's early Feb, I guess. We got through the, you know, there probably won't be another crazy blizzard situation like last year, probably you no know, snow back to what we know from before. And so by the time the earthquake hit, I mean, it was snowing. Um, there was snow. I mean, all over there was ice. It was extremely cold, minus two degrees. And of course, combined with the fact that most people were caught sleeping and were in buildings that had collapsed uh, on on them while they were sleeping um, in extremely cold temperatures, rain, snow. I mean, it just reduces your survival chances Uh I mean, in such additional significant ways, so it was a kind of a, an interplay of factors that, for the ultimate worst outcome, in so many different aspects, and that's hard to stomach. You know, you're like, if it would have been fifty hours before, I mean, just that, or like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, like in that way, temperatures were a lot more, you know, like livable. Um, probably, you know, that, that would have meant that the situation I mean they would have provided for more opportunities for people to maybe hold a hold on for a bit longer and that mm. was obviously then so I think the, the biggest um, kind of interaction of these different factors was that it made it a lot more difficult to
0: um yeah hold out for longer periods of time yeah when we think about like weather events and climate change we like think about the direct consequences and we don't necessarily think so much about like how they can interplay with other stuff going on tell us a little bit like you've kind of referred to the things that 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 make you angry it could have been different and the um like the gratitude is also like I must have told you you know when I had um when I broke my leg on the like emergency trauma ward um Mm. people have had like quite bizarre accidents but there's a lot of gratefulness as well because everyone is aware it could have been a lot worse. It yeah. sounds like there's a similar thing yeah. going on. But, like, tell us a little bit about sort of in yourself and others, the range of, like, how people are understanding this. Like, is it kind of, like, all kind of upstairs with God and, like, him doing that? Or, like, in in kind of um, on the side of Twitter I'm on, like, there's a lot of anger about like building codes (laughs) and and practices there um and Um. and obviously it was kind of in in a place where a lot of the people you knew and were working with had gone through like in like sort of um extraordinarily dreadful life experiences already what are the kind of sort of stories you hear people telling about it or like the, the ways to explain or to yeah. understand, and and how are you how are you sort of doing that for yourself as well?
1: Yeah, Oh yeah. There's lots of questions at once. I mean, um, talking about the, you also asked me about conversations that's sort really stuck in my mind, and one of them was on. There, like a few hours after the earthquake um speaking to a Syrian colleague because, because I mean, go and Teb, being so close to the Syrian border um is now home to a very large Syrian um yeah community mainly from Aleppo Idlib, so Northwest Syria um which is of course also most affected by 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 the war um and he literally said to me and he was saying it you know like like it was a bit of a joke I think he just this kind of humor in the worst times Was just saying like you know syrians have been you have been bombarded from the skies you know like uh shot killed in all the ways possible uh, now an earthquake the only thing missing is a volcano like you know eruption and i wonder when that will come you know and he was like <laughs> Active volcanoes in <laughs> Turkey. Put that in Google. I was like, oh God! I hope, I hope you know that it mm. will be it will be spared. You know, we will be spared. Well if be you spared. get the
0: UNDSS training in time? You know.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Yes, I mean <laughs> no. that's something you definitely should never rely on, whatever circumstances. <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's no. kind of like you know we've seen so much and not seen. But I mean, the experience of violence is so pronounced and so mm. yeah. I mean, the way that people. Are uh, being killed and die and so impacted by different types of tremendous violence that yeah, they were like, this is a sick joke. I can't believe that now thousands of us are dying in a freaking earthquake. Like, that's just that's just not that's just so incredibly like what a sick joke is this. Hmm. Um and I think going back to the building code situation, like because um, and the build-I mean the construction sector, I think in Turkey is a very I remember that like moving to Turkey like in 2017, one of the main impressions that really like are very, very visual, first of all, you see the Turkish flag everywhere, which coming from Germany is very unusual. Like this is very odd. Um, um but then also the fact that wherever you go, you see construction underway, like I don't know, like Caterpillars or I don't know, cement, you know? Mm. um high-rises being kind of pulled up um, wherever you look, like it's extremely busy and the city keeps on expanding in all directions all the time. So since I've arrived here, there's two entire new neighborhoods which have been literally <laughs> you know, like overnight and it's extremely fast. I was always like, how can you put in place a whole new neighborhood with its own, you know, like park and supermarkets and residential like blocks housing more than the, like probably two 3,000 people how can you kind of make this happen within six months? That's so extremely odd and of course um, yeah, I mean, there's ways to do that right? I mean it's, it's um, and one of them is doing things maybe with a few shortcuts because you can and Um, Yeah, it's the fact that also a lot of Syrian families and colleagues who are living in housing a bit outside of the city that's more affordable, less expensive, less gentrified, they're also among the most affected because those buildings fell Mm. first. So um, even in Turkey, I think a lot of the victims of the earthquake are are Syrians. Um, Of course, because this is the region, right, close to the border, but the way that you would you would you know be able to find housing um of course it relates to socioeconomic status and that means then that yeah uh, many of those whose houses collapsed or apartments um were also yeah among uh, the Syrians the Syrian community on the other hand there is also a very huge luxury kind of apartment complex that's very close to the office which also half collapsed and that was built only 2 years ago and it's one of the most expensive housing in the city, so it's it's not you know it's not straightforward at all. I think it kind of cuts across the sector, but um, yeah, just to say that the construction sector in Turkey is massive. I think it's a driving kind of engine behind the Turkish. I mean, it's a key strategy of the of the uh, of the party and the Turkish government. It's kind of a lot of um, yeah, a lot happens. A lot of money is made. Lots of connections. Lots of yeah, political maneuvering um, happens in that sector. And um, there were several amnesties around building codes and things like that. And the government is trying very hard to shift away from that coverage. And I think what has already been happening is that there's a lot of very active, um, like there's surveillance on Twitter. I mean, Twitter was shut off for two days because it was deemed to, right? I mean, which was another... I think, pretty disastrous in many ways because people were sharing information about where they had been buried in the rubble, for example, and holding the risky efforts. But people who criticize the government for its strategy or who talk about the fact that this construction sector was built on shaky grounds to some extent, the regulations which are in place, I mean, these regulations exist. There's an earthquake kind of mitigation response strategy of the Turkish government, which is like in line with all the guidance of the world. But um, it's about then implementing that and um, that hasn't happened for lots of structural reasons and yeah it would be interesting to see how they will go on about this because for sure there will be certain scapegoats um, but this might be the let's say the lower um, Hmm. those lower on the food chain yeah
2: Hmm. yeah because I mean I remember um, I think the last one that in my memory um, I think in 99 there was also a big earthquake in Turkey in Izmir I think Yes. Yeah. Right. And that's also yeah. that a lot of people died. Um, and also, there was a discussion about building codes, you know, and the, and the quality of the structures and, and everything. So, I wonder, you know, within the span of 22 years, right, whether that event has been forgotten, right? And then people just return back to normal. Okay. The earthquake's not going to happen again. And, you know, the people stop following the. The, the building standards. So I wonder, you know, like looking into the future, right, how long these lessons of 2023 will be remembered and, you know, persist?
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of my Turkish friends say that, um, that does, I mean, despite the magnitude and scale, which I think shadows even what happened in 1999 um the prediction is that things will go back to normal, quote unquote, very quickly. Um and they would not kind of expect a major reckoning or restructuring or the accountability process at all. Um also based on experiences from past major national disasters. Um I mean my friend said to me yesterday, yeah, we forget very easily um in our yeah political culture and, and the expectation was that yeah, it was more process of going back to, to normal. I wonder to what extent the fact that there have been several earthquakes over extended periods of time, I mean, I'm talking about the last 20 days, but it seems like a very yeah. extended period of time to me, <laughs> yeah. uh, has an impact on this because that's the feeling of safety um, that's required for you to kind of resume and even consider going back home and, you know, kind of re inhabit these spaces has been so profoundly. Upended. Um, but yeah, I mean, you also said, I mean, globally, internationally speaking, this is not news anymore already, um, right? Mm. And I mean, that's a news cycle, we know that, but um, even within Turkey, there's a lot of discussion around how easily and how quickly this will be kind of overtaken by, yeah,
0: Kind of, the, the kind of tomorrow's news. So there, there must be quite the dissonance on the ground because, mm. like with time, you actually have more information and and much more clear needs about what's going on, even though the the attention from outside moves on.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, in some ways, this area, especially Hattai, is quite marginal. I would say to the wider. Um, kind of the wider, let's say, political um, system and landscape. It's uh, also an area of Turkey that has the most kind of, I mean, this, how do they say it? Um, yeah, like multi-ethnic, multi-religious. It's a very, um, historically speaking as well, like very diverse area, which is in contrast to many other parts of Turkey at this point, not historically, obviously, but at this point. And um, a bit of a concern, politically speaking, you know, not as, um, let's say, not as in line, for example, with some of the programmatic Mm. points from Istanbul. And um, so in some ways, there's a bit of a feeling of detachment. I mean, I'm talking now about national level kind of points of view from Ankara, Istanbul. Um, So, yeah, this is what a lot of people have expressed to me, the fact that that it hit a region uh, that it hit this region the hardest, which is already slightly removed from the from the kind of center of power of this new Turkey. Um, that this would make it easier to gloss over, quote unquote, in the in the medium mm. to long term.
0: Um, yeah. Brendan Istanbul said he didn't even feel the tremor. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, in Ankara. Yes. And all the focus, of course, the earthquake that's kind of expected in Istanbul, I think, was the focus of. Mm. The government's efforts, right? I mean, that's where. And uh, but this region, which kind of lies on top of three different faults, like the and tectonic Mm. plate, three tectonic plates that are coming together, um, didn't receive that kind of attention um, Mm -hmm. at all. And there's also questions around the why,
0: Um, you know, um, of course, around that. So, so in these reports you're writing, there must be like the build back better section. Like, what's um <laughs> what's in the because, like, we're like, oh, we're going to forget it quickly. Some of us have already forgotten it. Some of us didn't mm-hmm. notice. Like, what's the kind of, do you have a kind of build back better message, like, or one that you're, like, one that you can see open?
1: You know, Peter, because again, like, uh, I focus on Northwest Syria in my paper writing, in my brief writing um the expectation and this is this was she expressed very very clearly like no one expects a build back better phase in northwest syria mm. seeing the fact that um the, the constrained access that's in place the fact that there is no heavy machinery that anyone would you know get over that border without angering the syrian government in damascus um so it is literally entirely and could kind of restricted to the life-saving emergency assistance, I'm sure. I mean, you can imagine uh, the, NF- the non-food items and the tents and the blankets and getting people, you know, into tents if possible so they don't have to sleep on the street. And another focus is on the health and restoring hospitals to capacities before the earthquake, which wasn't great already. But there is absolutely no discussion at all around rebuilding anything in Northwest Syria. Mm. Uh, so that's very different to the Turkish side, which I'm a bit less familiar with on that level. When it comes to the the briefings and so forth and discussions in these working groups and with the government. But mm. in North Syria, the, they talk about three months. Uh, it's a three-month emergency response because beyond that, we can't do anything. Um,
0: so you so no, listener, um, listeners might not know that the... like, And you know, tell me where I go wrong, like that the UN was providing support to Northwest Syria, which was the sort of more rebel-held zones mm-hmm. um under a UN framework. But then that was like every yeah. three or six months as then goes up for renewal and goes up to the very last minute. Um and and whatnot. So it's under that only under that structure that the UN can provide that assistance. And that's limited by right, the Syrian government and by other other yeah. international actors, um, I guess, particularly Russia, um, that exactly. sort of mean that there's such a short horizon on the type of assistance that can be provided.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for, for context, I mean, as you said, I mean, this is the entire cross-border UN operation of Syria is resting on a UN Security Council resolution, which was passed in 2014, and since then. Um, mm. Has to be. I mean, has to be renewed annually. Most recently, biannually, so every six months. So it goes to the Security Council um, to decide whether the assistance is uh, required um, moving forward. So um, in the past year and a half, especially, it's become more and more um, difficult to predict what the outcome would be, especially because of the Russian and Chinese uh, potential vetoes. Um, so the current deadline for the security resolution which authorizes the use of the border crossings into opposition held northwest Syria actually expires mid-July so Mm. um, that's a time where you would then have another security council session to decide if and how um, that would be continued to be authorized or not because of course this happens against the wishes of the Syrian government Mm -hmm. and hence the UN so I mean there's a whole legal regime around this but hence um, there were provisions made for for a mechanism that would not rest on a government's sovereign uh, kind of, a, I mean, a government's um, endorsement or agreement to such provisions. Yeah, so that makes it very difficult and it also restricts what kind of items can be provided in Northwest area, by whom, through what border crossings, and of course then it's a very complex environment with regards to authorities who are in control. Um, there's areas that are under Turkish control um, control and then there's areas which are governed by what's widely considered or described as um, yeah like uh, more Islamist groups which yeah have built structures over time and uh, there is a race and it's quite a dynamic context um, but yeah there's also essentially a big factor that there are more sanctions on certain groups um, and what that then means for yeah, assistance that can be provided or not especially with US funding so it's a very very complicated uh, overall landscape which of course then as you can imagine in this kind of current context um, makes everything even more complicated in lots of different ways
0: yeah. yeah the geopolitical barriers to providing help to people in need
1: yeah
0: I mean they're just um, absolutely
1: these barriers are Massive, really. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very difficult. Yeah. So, so that's a kind of key um, key challenge, and um, that makes it also sets it very much apart from the situation in Turkey, um, mm-hmm. where you have a you know a government is actually engaging in <laughs> rescue and relief operations. Um, Paris, um, yeah, and on the Syrian side, that's entirely provided by um,
0: civil defense support. Um, and it leads to kind of big disparities and kind of what information we have and even on the response. And you kind of see, like, news articles just talking about the Turkey side and you're like, well, okay, that's the yeah. side we can all get to. But um... Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, of course, in in terms of, yeah, absolutely true. Like, it's a bit of a footnote in many, mm-hmm. in, in much of the, the coverage, yes. And if you don't know any, I mean, if you're not familiar with Syria, it's also hard to, to understand what it really means. I mean, the fact that the earthquake mm-hmm. came on top of 10 years of war, um, mm-hmm. displacement, um, you know, um, all types of rights violations, and most people in northwest Syria. And this is very, I mean, the death toll stands at 6,000 in northwest Syria. It's a population of 6 million. And I think it could have been so much higher if it wasn't for the fact that most people live in tents, in camps. I mean, it's maybe the only time where living in a tent has saved you or, like, potentially, you know, like, provided some kind of protection from Mm. what could otherwise be a life-threatening event. I mean, it's very Mm. – because so many people live in these flimsy structures and, I mean, in so many ways, so terrible. But when the earthquake struck, it was much less likely that you would be hit by – yeah that you were buried under rubble because mm-hmm.
0: there's no structure around you. I d- I thought those numbers might be just big underestimates as well. Hmm? I'd wondered if the numbers were just big underestimates.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's something that we also thought, I mean, we, that's uh, something that, um, that was a big question. And um, there is a lot of, I mean, at this point, also through Syrian colleagues, are so very much in touch with uh, families and, who are connected very much with civil society, that is the confirmed more or less number,
0: mm.
1: because also you have a lot less concrete structures and and, and urban settlements. So yeah. So see, so
0: maybe even on the Turkey side, then the difference between the official number and the actual number might be a bigger difference on the Turkey side.
1: For sure, that's I was about to say that. Yes, this is what, what's expected. Like on a Turkey side, I think the numbers will continue to rise substantially, whereas. In northwest Syria, that's not expected to the same extent. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: So, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, like for people that are, you know, trying to help, like from outside Turkey, right? I mean, in terms of like um, donations and support, what do you suggest? You know, like people do. You know, either you know. Because for for people, I mean, for for us, right, outside the UN system and outside, the, just normal people, um, you know, you don't really know. Okay, now we are on the day twenty, right? Is this rescue still going? You know, where should the should we continue to donate to the rescue organizations? I mean, like, you know, what what is the best way to contribute now? So, yeah, that's uh,
1: yeah. I mean, the rescue operations they have uh, all but stopped. I mean, at this point. It's about, yeah, I mean, trying to identify those who are still missing, um, but not in the hope of finding anyone alive. Um, So that's, a yeah, thank you for that question. I mean, in, in Syria, in northwest Syria, which, um, of course, is a lot more constrained in terms of access, well, I think one of the most useful ways to support and contribute is um, to support the um, the civil defense forces, which are citizens, who get together um, and and provide rescue services. Um, I think uh, public services are provided as well. They're called the white helmets, and that I think is one of the yeah one of the key groups that are engaging and um, yeah, widely trusted. I mean, because of course, I mean, um, I've asked Syrian friends and colleagues, and that's been a constant. Um, yeah, to kind of that's the direction that you pointed uh, in. Um, it's yeah a structure or network that has replaced much of the public service delivery in Northwest Syria, including disaster response. Um, and on the Turkish side, yeah, there's a lot of very local um, organisations that work on very specific, um, you know, provision of, um, as you said, I mean, from food to to, to heating. To, I mean, it's very day-to-day expenses that those who have who have survived but lost. Uh, the roof over their head and pretty much everything else to really support those who are yeah survivors of the earthquake and that includes finding incentive housing, um, you know, covering medical bills and yeah there is a, a few Turkish very small organizations um, that have very local footprint in the region. Um, one of them is called Ahbab, for example. Um, that's very so yeah that's been referred to consistently, but then through colleagues and friends who know. Um, we've been fundraising on their own, uh, collectively um, in groups, uh, and um, yeah. So, so that's how I've been trying to support by by speaking to people who are directly affected, and then them, you know, pointing me towards certain directions or campaigns. Um, yeah. So so that I think is if you have a direct connection to the region um, to really yeah have those conversations and then ideally support their individual um, you know initiatives rather than, because there is Turkish Requestion as well, there is the Disaster Management Agency, but I think um, if you are hoping that your donations or your contributions are utilized to the maximum possible extent, then I would not want to maybe, I would not recommend you go through those structures, I think, but rather the more civil, civilian-led um, initiatives that exist in the region, and there is a whole list that I am happy to share as well that we put together here in Gaziantep.
0: Lina, you know, thank you so much. We should um yeah, this we we've gotten into a lot of very very deep issues that you're in the middle of and such a sort of tragic circumstance. Did you have any reflections or anything that we didn't we didn't touch on?
1: No, thank you so much for this conversation. I really appreciate it. And I also you know it's not a very it's not a very coherent time in so many different ways, so also for bearing with me, rambling a bit potentially uh I think what really what you really draw out from me is this yeah this very this lift contradictions that you're living through a mess disaster um you get out of it nearly unscathed you're one of the luckiest in the entire situation um and and then directly jumping from this into a kind of wider context where. You're sucked into the inner workings of the <laughs> you know, the UN machine and, and how that often has, you know, it's not very much connected to. Yeah, I mean this dissonance as we as we discussed, right? And how to reconcile these things, like wanting to be here, wanting to support, but then not really knowing what the best place would be. And in the meantime, you just go along with what what you know. I think that's Rob interesting questions for me. And yeah, I want to thank you for that. Mm. Um and other than that, yeah, I um very glad that we got some time. This is the first time I think since since the uh, since the earthquake that I actually spent some time thinking about all these questions. So thanks mm-hmm. for your really uh yeah. Very, very uh, I don't know, like helpful prompts. I really mm-hmm. enjoy talking to you both.
0: This is um these these episodes on the podcast are kind of like little time capsules of certain moments. So it'd be great to kind of talk to you again in six or twelve months or not on or off the podcast and see see where you are because it will be it will look very different then
1: yes oh my computer yes you're right and I hope we speak before then even <laughs> but thank you yeah for the for the really great yeah I, it's a very special moment I will not forget our conversation and yeah that
2: all
0: Thanks so much to Ina for talking with us in the middle of such a difficult time. It's really special to capture that moment together. Thanks to all of you for listening. And if you didn't hear the conversation with Francesca, Dodi and Laura spoke with her last time. That was the previous episode. Do check it out. This one was co-hosted by Dodi and me, production music from Tarek, and sparkles from RAF, an ever-growing group of WhatsApp podcast producers. Until next time.